Well, as I mentioned, we start a five-part series on prayer, and before you, I just want you to like reserve your, your judgment because some of you are probably thinking, how boring, like a five-part series on prayer with everything going on in our world, but I hope by the end of our sermon today, you'll be convinced that that is exactly what we need to be talking about in the day and age and times that we're living in uh, here in, in our country, at least. There are a couple books I want to uh, commend to you. Um, about a year, year and a half ago, uh, Craig Nelson, some of you know Craig Nelson, recommended Paul Miller's A Praying Life, uh, which is uh, a fantastic book on prayer and really challenged a lot of the sort of deep-seated um, uh, presuppositions I had about what prayer was. Uh, this is a fantastic book, and it's a resource for you to pick up if you haven't read it. We have small little tracks on the table, and I've put about 30 or 40 of them out there, so on your way out, you can grab a small little track, which is called Paul Miller, it's Paul Miller's Beginning, A Praying Life, and it may be just be about 30 pages, and that's free. You can grab it on the way out. So this is one resource. Another resource which I have found incredibly helpful is Richard Pratt's Pray With Your Eyes Open. And of course, it's not about actually praying with your eyes open, but your, the eyes of your heart open. And this is also another excellent resource. So Paul Miller's A Praying Life and Richard Pratt's Pray With Your Eyes Open. There are more resources out there, and I'll probably mention a few more as we go on over the next few weeks. Um, but uh, today we're starting a five-part series, and uh, you know, we all struggle with prayer, and it may be the most important but neglected aspect of the Christian life. And um, it's no wonder that the devil fights us so hard with distractions and guilt regarding prayer. Um, I don't think it's wrong for us to think about areas of our Christian walk which are least developed being the most important. In other words, it is something that, we're, that there's, there's a lot of obstacles for. There are a few other areas of our Christian life that are like that, but prayer may be the chief among those. And so over the next few weeks, I want to focus on empowering, empowering and equipping us to develop a powerful prayer life. Let's read um, a passage in Psalm, um, in the Psalm, Psalm 56. And as we went through Psalms a couple summers ago, was it last summer? No, it was two summers ago. We talked about how the Psalms are, they're poems, they're songs, but they're really prayers. They're sort of like prayers set to, so sort of like poetry. They're poetical ways of praying and talking to God, and that's why our series this morning is about talking to God. Psalm 56, this is the word of the Lord. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me all day long, an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause, all their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape? In wrath 
cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, and the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. This is the word of God. Here are some sobering quotes about prayer. The Cinderella of the church today is prayer. This handmaiden of the Lord is unloved and unwooed because she isn't dripping with the pearls of intellectualism nor glamorous with the silks of philosophy. Neither is she enchanting with the tiara of psychology. She wears only the homemade rags of sincerity and humility. When God intends a great mercy for his people, the first thing he does is set them a-praying. Men, devils, or empires cannot stand against the church when it stirs itself to pray. We know how important prayer is from the devil's efforts to distract us from it. Until humble men return again to spiritual leadership in prayer, we may expect a progressive deterioration in the quality of popular Christianity year after year until we reach the point where the grieved Holy Spirit withdraws like the glory from the temple. Preaching never edifies a prayerless soul. And finally, no man is greater than his prayer life. Here's what the Bible says about prayer. In Ephesians 6, after Paul tells us to put on the whole armor of God to stand against the devil, he says we ought to pray at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication and keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. In other words, we should pray always. There's no wrong time to pray. And when we do, we should pray with a sense of urgency. And that's what supplication means. It means urgent requests. You've probably heard the word supplication if you've been a Christian for some time, but maybe you're not sure what it means. You just assume it means prayer. But it literally means urgent request. We should pray with a sense of urgency, making our requests known before God. And we ought to persevere in prayer. Prayer is something we ought to persevere in. In Acts 2.42, Luke sums up the character of the early church by saying they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayers. The early church was devoted to fellowship and they were devoted to prayer. Christianity spread not because the early Christians were such skilled apologists for the faith, but because the early church was a praying church. timely verse for us today with the tumult in America is 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, 
Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. We need healing in our land today. Now those statements should deeply convict us of poor prayer habits. And it's right that we should feel deep conviction, but I want you to take note of this, that conviction is different than guilt. Conviction is the feeling of feeling deeply convinced about something. In this case, that something is what needs to change in our prayer habits. And we should all feel convicted, unless you are that rare soul of a Christian who can boast and brag about your amazing prayer life. But the rest of us, me included, we've got some space to grow. So I don't want to give you a guilt trip about your prayer life, and here's why. I think it is guilt that keeps us from praying. In fact, I think guilt is the very thing that prevents us from having a more intimate and powerful prayer life because we know we should pray more, we feel bad about it, and it just feels like an insurmountable mountain to climb, and we just give up. You know, it's kind of like the Everest of Christian, you know, duty. You know, we know we should pray more, we know we don't pray like we should, and it just, it just feels hopeless, and that sense of guilt saddled on our shoulders keeps us from praying. So the last thing I want to do this morning, despite some of those quotes, which hopefully pricked your heart a little bit, last thing I want to do is give you a guilt trip, because that's not going to help you. This morning, rather than a guilt trip about poor prayer habits, I want to set out the building blocks of a healthy prayer life by identifying the problem with our prayers, right? So first you gotta identify the dilemma. Before you can offer a solution, you have to know what the problem is. So I wanna talk a little bit about sort of the problem with our prayers. Most people, when they pray, aren't very thoughtful. And we're not very thoughtful about three particular things. Number one, God as the receiver, ourselves as the source, and our words as the communication. So the three things we're not thoughtful about, or as thoughtful as we could be or should be, and these three things are key to building a proper prayer life. God as the receiver, ourselves as the source, and our words as the communication. And these three elements are all essential to prayer. God, ourselves, and our communication. And if any one of these three, these three things are missing, of course, prayer can't happen. Without God, no one listens. Without the believer, no one speaks. And without communication, nothing is said. And so the problem isn't with prayer, but sort of how boring, lame, and monotonous our prayers tend to be. They're not very creative. They're not very thoughtful. In fact, this is the one area I think we should not engage in sort of rote speech. So the first thing I want to focus on is the first problem with our prayer is that we do not think very deeply about the recipient of prayer, God. And I wrote there a multifaceted appreciation. One of the biggest things we suffer from when we address God in prayer is a lack of appreciation for the sort of multiplicity of his attributes. I love my wife because she's the mother of my kids, but that's not all she is. Right, babe? She's my best friend. She's my lover. She's an encourager. She's a good cook. 
She's a great conversationalist, a helper, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But imagine if all I said to her was, thanks for being the mother of my kids. Every Valentine's Day, every Mother's Day, every birthday, thanks for being the mother of my kids. And after a while, she starts to think, hey, that's just like one aspect of like who I am. I mean, is that all you can say, right? At some point, our communication and intimacy would stall out because of a lack of appreciation for her multifaceted character. You see where I'm going with this. The same is true when we pray. So I want to do a little exercise here. When you think of God, what is the first word that comes to mind? Go for it. Throw it out there. You can have permission. Just say, say the first word about God that comes to mind. Go for it. Love. Okay. Keep it going. All right. Yeah, those are all good. And um, we could add to that, that he is perfection, beauty, mercy, justice, power, holiness, wrath, compassion. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, and you've certainly seen things that have unpacked the attributes of God or the names of God or the character of God. And, you know, you could easily come up with a list of 30 to 40 to 50 things And here's something important. You do not need to address every one of those things every time you pray. If you think about sort of things to say about God as like a deep well that you draw on one each every single day, you essentially could have 30 to 50 days, maybe 60 days of prayer alone just addressing each day, one different beautiful aspect of God's good, holy, perfect character and spend time in that. So imagine making a list of his attributes and spending each day simply focusing on one. Writing a list of all the way that single attribute affects you. Think about that. Just think about that for a moment. Think about if For those of you that spoke up, that one character or two character aspects of God, you simply focused on in prayer and how it affects you and how it's changed your life and how you've experienced God's godness, so to speak, through that one attribute. And then did that day after day after day. You would never have any shortage of things to pray to God about, about himself and about the way that affects you. Now, the Psalms are a helpful resource because they focus on the many sides of God's character. Psalm 28 and 1 says, To you I call, O Lord, my rock. Do not turn a deaf ear to me. What's the focus there? Well, God's reliability. Probably never thought of that one, right? God, thank you for your reliability. You're a reliable Savior. I can count on you. Here are some of the ways you've been reliable in my life. Or Psalm 18 and 1. I love you, O Lord, my strength. What's the focus there? Well, God's strength or his power. 
I'm grateful, God, that you are stronger and more powerful than any enemy or circumstance that can oppose me. You're a strong God. You could spend 10 minutes on that one alone, just unpacking all the ways that God shows his strength, especially in your weakness. I want to say there's no real rules in prayer. It's just talking to God. And some of us may have some sort of uh, unhealthy ideas or experiences where we feel that we have to come to God in some super formal way. But I want to say that, you know, private prayer is not liturgy. Sometimes we have liturgical prayers in church, but your private prayer life is not a liturgy. I mean, you could argue that it's like a private liturgy, but you get the point I'm trying to make. It's you're just talking to God, whether it's at your, your prayer closet at home, in your office, at work, in the car, during the commute, or whatever the case may be, prayer is just talking to God, and you can talk to God anywhere. And so it's this rigidness, I think, that keeps us from praying. What do I mean by rigidness? I don't think I'm the only one who has suffered from feeling like I need to say everything each time I pray. But the truth is, we don't. We don't need to say everything that needs to be said every time we pray. Some of you have heard of the acronym ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. I mean, you could do that one day of the week. You could do Adoration on Monday, Confession on Tuesday, Thanksgiving on Wednesday, supplication on Thursday, family and friends on Friday, you could alliterate. I mean, every week you could do something different. I like alliteration. <clears throat> Our sermon this morning is a problem with prayer. Next week will probably be the purpose of prayer. So They teach you that in seminary. <clears throat> the second problem I think we have, besides feeling like we need to say everything every time we pray... And of course, that's daunting, isn't it? It doesn't make you feel, you know, excited about prayer when you feel like you've got this big laundry list of things you have to cover. I mean, we don't see that in Psalms. We don't see that in the New Testament. We just don't see that in the Bible. The second problem, I think, is we feel that it has to be super formal, somber, and serious. And it doesn't. It simply needs to be sincere. Look at how David focuses on God's character in Psalm 56. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust... I shall not be afraid. After all, what can flesh do to me? David acknowledges God's graciousness. He says, be gracious to me. God's trustworthiness. He says, I put my trust in you. Here's an application, okay? You can write this down. Appreciating God's multifaceted character focuses our prayers in fresh ways. Appreciating God's multifaceted character focuses our prayers in fresh ways. Now, some of the reason why we say the very same things to God in prayer, pray, you know, day after day, week after week, or when we do pray, is there's just a sense of familiarity. I tend to open up every one of my prayers by saying, 
oh God, my Savior, my rock, and my Redeemer. I don't know where I learned that. It's just something I've done for, you know, decades. Uh, but I could stand to sort of like mix it up a little bit, right? Because God is all those things, but he's more than that. The second thing I want us to look at is ourselves as the source of prayer. And that means having an awareness of ourselves. So if the first point is consciousness of God's attributes in sort of like a multifaceted way, the second point is a consciousness of ourselves and, you know, the depth and multifaceted aspect of who we are as people and human beings. You know, no prayer will feel like we're truly communicating with God if we don't let what's in our hearts come out. You know, prayer emerges from the mind and the heart. And when we pray, we have to let what's in our heart come out. And I think we have this really weird idea that like God, like we can't be totally honest with God. We, we have to sort of present ourselves in a, you know, in a, in a I don't know, in a, uh, a prepared way, a very formal way, a sort of fearful way. And I just want to say that that's not the image from Scripture, especially from the New Testament, which is the fatherhood of God. The idea of God as a loving father. I mean, which one of you fathers or mothers, when your kid comes to you, you know, mommy or daddy, I'm hungry. You know, can we, can we go out to eat tonight? You can say, how dare you come into my presence that way? You know, you just, <laughs> right? You know? You're like, well, sure, hon, we'll see. You know, I'm, I was planning on cooking chicken casserole or whatever, but maybe. We'll, we'll talk to your dad or whatever, right? Like, like the idea that we can't come to God just as normal human beings and talk to God from our heart is just wrong. That's just wrong, and I think it keeps us from having a meaningful prayer life. So the more aware we are of ourselves and the things we're feeling, the more sincere our prayers will become. Look at, again, look at David's prayer. Now this time, verses five through eight. All day long, they injure my cause. I want you to, I'm gonna try to read it with the inflection David might have had, but I want you to try to feel it. All day long, they injure my cause, God. Their thoughts are only evil against me. They stir up strife, they lurk. They watch my steps as they've waited for my life. Will you let them escape for their crimes? You've kept my tossings. In other words, you have taken an account and inventory of how troubled I've been. Put your tears in my, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? What a thing to say to God. What a thing to say to God. Hey God, it's been a rough year. Bottle up my tears. Write down my sufferings in your book. And in some ways, David is speaking to and sort of instructing God. He's telling God what his heart longs for and desires, his fears. David is angry, he's afraid, he's indignant, and he is certainly in touch with his emotions. A lot of us have real problems, especially guys, I mean, we really struggle being in touch with our emotions because we think we have to be strong. And, you know, maybe that's true on some level in the professional world or, you know, outwardly. But with God, 
That is the last place you want to pretend. David does not pretend. He probably feels or felt that no one knew what he was going through except God. He says, you have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Have you ever prayed like that? Let all of your emotions just pour out? You know, good prayer is therapeutic. It's like a, it's like a good counseling session. You know, it's cathartic. When you're really connected to God in prayer, when you really realize that, look, you can let it all out before God as a loving father who wants to hear you, you can be completely honest and real with your emotions before God. You can talk through the hardest frustrations, hurts, pains, deepest longings and desires and joys with your heavenly father because he loves you. He wants to hear it. And when you hear your own words coming out, it just does something to you. Right? Like a good cry. Have you ever been with someone you could trust and you just had a good cry? I mean, am I the only one here? Right? Have a good cry sometimes with someone you can trust over just the hurts and pains. And when it's all over, boy, you feel so much better. And that's how a good prayer is when you're really pouring out to God and talking about hard things, hurtful things, painful things. And so part of being self-aware of ourself as the source of prayer is being aware of what we feel, and you might have to write that down. I like to write my prayers out before I pray them. Not every word, but at least the things I want to cover. Because part of that's sort of half the battle of praying is thinking about what you want to pray for. So maybe not being sort of like a mindless approach to prayer sometimes, but like writing out your prayers and thinking about and recording your inmost thoughts and attitudes and desires and longings and work through them in prayer, key word here, unashamedly. You don't have to be ashamed before God. He already knows everything about you. That's what makes the grace of God so amazing is because he knows the worst things about you and he still loves you in Christ. So the idea of not being ashamed to talk about the deepest hurts, pains, and he, here's what I think is really happening why we often do not do that is because some of our deepest hurts are with God himself. Some of our deepest disappointments are with God himself. And if you read the Psalms, you will recognize that David took those disappointments with God to God. So many of the psalms are lament psalms where David is complaining in a, in a sort of worshipful, reverent, but honest way to God about the disappointments in his life and how God's plans for his life are seem slow to be implemented. I mean, just think of all the years David had to wait after, he was, after it was prophesied over him he would be king of Israel. And he waits and he waits and he waits while Saul, this rascal king, does his thing and sort of seeks to kill him. And even though he has opportunities to kill Saul, he doesn't. I mean, think of the, the disappointment with that and the frustration with that. All those years waiting on God. And of course, God answered. But David had to work through that with God. And I think this idea that we cannot go to God with that is also wrong. One thing about observant Orthodox Jews in the synagogue, they will often come down to the altar 
before service starts and complain to God. They will pray, shaking their fist, not irreverently, disrespectfully, but talking with God, sort of wrestling with God in prayer. And I think that's healthy for us. I'm not, I'm not trying to encourage anyone to sort of be flippant with God because God is powerful and holy and transcendent and all those things, but to be honest with God, to be honest with God. Whether you're complaining to God or celebrating with God, you have to invite him in. Now, this past week, a week and a half ago, uh, my daughter Naomi has had some health issues. She had some pain in her left breast, and she went to the doctor, and the doctor said, we need to do some tests. You have a lump in your breast. Now, just think as a father what that sounds like for my youngest child to be told by the doctor, you need a CAT scan, there's a lump in your breast. I mean, you can imagine what kind of lament my prayers looked like that whole week and the fears that I had to take before God. And here's something interesting is when you have something on the horizon looming like that, you're already anticipating how you might react if the test turns out to be positive, that it's cancer or something. And you're already running in your mind through the kind of anger and, and, you know, that you would feel if God let that happen. And then, of course, that day, you know, I, we had been praying all week, and that day I had recruited people to pray. And, of course, the test came back that they, they didn't see anything. The radiologist said, you know, it certainly wasn't cancer. There's nothing they could see. And I made sure that I spent time, a good amount of time in prayer, just worshiping and praising God for that for the, the answer to that prayer. And I didn't just say, because you know, here's, what's, here's what we're prone to do. We're prone to get sort of frustrated with God, and that's okay to be frustrated with God sometimes. But when things turn out the way we want them to, we're just like, oh great, whew, that was, you know. Instead of saying, oh, wait, wait, time out, no, 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 no. You need to go to God in prayer and give him thanks and celebrate with him for answering that prayer, for answering. I spent time weeping in my office, celebrating with God. Because I, I realized this would be wrong of me not to give God the glory he deserves. So I celebrated with God. So here's another application point for you, okay? Self-awareness can add a profound dimension to prayer. Self-awareness can add a profound dimension to prayer. And third and finally... I want us to focus on the words of prayer, which means being mindful of the way we communicate. So communication is the third element of prayer. In other words, we should think about the actual words we are using. Now, that may seem like a contradiction. Well, Jordan, a minute ago, you said we sort of didn't have to worry too much about what we said to God. We could just talk to God, and that's true. But colorful words, a variety of words, a creativity of words can make prayer whole lot more enjoyable. Psalm 54 and 2, hear my prayer, O God, and listen to the words of my mouth, which means that God is not just reading your thoughts, he is actually listening to words you use, that the words matter. And so when we sort of variegate our words in communication, it matters. God hears those words. 
God pays attention to those words, just like in a conversation with someone, right? You think about the things you say to people. You're mindful of the things you say to people. Now, I know some people pray silently, and there's nothing wrong with that, especially if you're in public, but the reference here to words from your mouth says a lot about how prayer happens. So I want to encourage you, when you pray, to actually let words come out of your mouth. And there's a real practical reason. It's not because silent prayer is sinful, not at all. But if you're like me, you know what happens when you pray silently? You just drift off. I gotta go to the store today, I gotta get to Costco, get that prescription. Oh God, God, oh Lord. Oh, uh, your blessing this day, I gotta change the tires, I gotta rotate those things, I get involved. Right, that's what happens, it just happens to us. So I just wanna encourage you that if you're not someone who is used to praying actual words, start. Start. In your personal, private prayer life, start using actual words. You don't have to scream it at the top of your lungs, but speak words to God, actual words to God. Now, sometimes we're unable to express all that we feel, and God has got that covered also. The Spirit promises to help us. Look at what it says in Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, which means some things you cannot put into words. Some things you don't even know to put into words. And God's got our back because it says, he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So it would be wrong of us never to pray because of this verse, saying, well, God, the Spirit intercedes for me anyway. It's sort of this symbiotic relationship between our own prayer life, working through prayer in communication, which is cathartic and therapeutic and all these different things, and also knowing that the Spirit has our back. The Spirit is interceding for us because, well, maybe I forgot to pray about, you know, Uh, the ball joint on my car, which is going to cause my steering wheel to drift into the oncoming traffic and keep that 18-wheeler from smashing into my car so the Spirit intercedes for me on that behalf or whatever the unforeseen thing may be. Let the Spirit take care of what can't be spoken, otherwise use words, okay? A diversity of words, just like conversations with a friend, varies from time to time. To time, when you talk, so too the words we use should vary. It's okay to have model prayers, but it's good to mix up our prayers. Now, there was a time in my life of deep discouragement. I went through sort of a depression for about two years. It was like, you know, the dark night of the soul people talk about. And I felt like for the longest time, all I could pray was the Lord's Prayer. I just didn't have it in me to say anything else. And I did, I did that every single day, but the Lord's, even the Lord's prayer is not to be used as a strict model for communication in all situations. It's good that it's there, and sort of the the skeleton or structure of the Lord's prayer is really helpful and instructive, and liturgically we use it here in church from time to time, but it is not some strict model to be used in all situations. 
I mean, basically, the same words said in the same way at the same time over and over again, you know, it'll drain all the life of your communication with God. So look at the last line of David's prayer as we wrap up here. Pay attention to the variation of words. And then think to yourself, have I ever prayed like this? Can I pray like this? After he has said all the other things we've read, he says, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. That's what thanks, thankfulness is. It's like an offering to God. For you've delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling. That I may walk before God in the light of life. Beautiful variation. And when you go home today, reread Psalm 56 for the multiplicity of God's attributes and his character that David appreciates, for David's own self-awareness of his own emotions and the things that he is feeling, secondly. And then third, just pay attention to the variety of words used. I mean, it's this sort of beautiful ensemble of words and sentences. I think if you... If you tap into that and those three elements, you might be more excited about prayer and you might walk away from prayer feeling like much more happened. Listen, in in conclusion, prayer is not this rigid, formal, ceremonious action. It's simply talking to God. We're just talking to God when we pray. Now, powerful things happen. And there is a holy, transcendent exchange in prayer. But we are, at the end of the day, talking to God. And that is what God wants. As our Heavenly Father, He wants us to talk to Him. Nowhere else in our faith is there as much opportunity for personal intimacy with God than prayer. Like a loving, non-judgmental family member. See, our sins have already been judged in Christ. We can come before him. God wants to hear our deepest pain, our longing, our joys, our anger, our complaints, our desires. And so throw off that frustration of guilt about prayer and embrace a more meaningful prayer life by simply being mindful of God and his attributes, yourself and your emotions, and the words you use. I want to encourage each of you to try it today. And I mean like, I don't say that statement like a way to end my sermon. I mean like sometime today, go home and do it. Pray that way today with those three things in mind. Let's pray. God, we're frail. You know that about us. You've made us in your image and at the same time, we are fallen We are finite, we are fragile, and we're often frail in our faith. We need the confidence to know that we can come before you and be vulnerable in prayer. We need to know, oh God, that you wait for us, longing to hear our heart, longing to hear our petitions and requests and longing to converse with us in prayer. Help us to have a renewed vision of what it means that we have a privilege to talk to the creator of the universe, 
that we are invited yet so seldom come before your throne of grace to talk to you, to communicate with you, to express ourselves, to cry out to you, and to share with you, O God, the deepest emotions of our very being and inmost self. Let us leave this place with a renewed sense of your love for us and the invitation to prayer. In Christ's name we pray, amen.